A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. From grandmothers who whispered in their baby girl ear to fathers on dimly lit street corners instructing young soldiers to always keep their eyes open. You be queen. You were fire. You were passed through centuries on the hands of your daughters. They called you wisdom. Proverbs. On the backs of diamond-eyed school children who grew into hymnals recited by amethyst-holding urban philosophers who recited neighborhood commandments out of the windows of restored El Camino chariots to keep the warmth in their blood. Be wise. Be smart. Be black opal, brown quartz, bloodstone and prayer. Be every form of gem. See, king told scribe, scribe told son, son told wife, wife told her daughter, and daughter told the ancestors, and the ancestors told me that you would come to give wisdom to thousands. They said you would come dropping gem, dropping gem. Hey, welcome back. It's the Dropping Gems Podcast. I am your host, Debbie Brown. This is your safe, soft place to land where we investigate in both the macro and micro ways all the ways in which we can live, embody, and apply higher consciousness to our day-to-day life, ultimately for the highest good of ourselves and all those that are connected to us. Thank you for joining me here. Today's episode, wow, mm, felt so so deeply special to record with this just phenomenal guest that I have today. Today's episode is featuring the founder of Mama Glow, Latham Thomas, just a truly exceptional, groundbreaking, wise, deep, highly intuitive force in the world. (laughs) That is the best way to describe Latham. She is a divine force for good, for women. And um, she and I were first connected actually in 2019. Uh, We had been following each other on social 
And I just, I loved her energy. It's just breathtaking. And I remember she had reached out. She has this beautiful column that she does for Well and Good that explores so many facets of the journey of self, of the journey of mothering, of the journey of healing. And she featured me in one of her columns. The article was titled, How This Hip-Hop Influencer Went From Burnout to Bliss. And it was really speaking to um, the big change in careers I had made and the following of my dharmic path and the following of my soul going from uh, broadcasting and entertainment industry career to really deciding that I wanted every second of my life um, to be in service and healing and wellness. And so it was just such a wonderful experience having that conversation with her there. And so Finally, the time has come uh, for Latham to join me in this platform, and I'm so excited to share this conversation, to share so much of her and her work on here. And so uh, buckle up. Um, Highly recommend getting a notebook out. We will be using that, especially a little later in the show. There is some soul work towards the end of this episode. And also towards the end of this episode, I'm going to have some information for you on how you can connect with Latham at an upcoming event that she is doing, the Doula Expo by Mama Glow, which is on October 30th. So I'm going to have all those deets at the end of the episode. But let me give you a little bit more about Latham. So Latham Thomas, founder of Mama Glow and Mama Glow Foundation. Named one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, Latham is the founder of Mama Glow, a global maternal health and education brand serving birthing people along the childbearing continuum. Mama Glow supports birthing families during the fertility period, pregnancy, birth, as well as during postpartum offering handholding through their bespoke doula services. Their doula education platform empowers birth workers around the world. Latham is a fierce advocate for birth equity and works to bridge policy gaps in maternal health. She's co-founder of the Continuum Conference, a gathering centering the experience of fertility, pregnancy, and new motherhood, and the Mama Glow Foundation, advancing reproductive justice through education, advocacy, and the arts. Cultivating her wellness practice over nearly a decade, she has served as a doula and lifestyle guru for celebrity clients, including Alicia Keys, Anne Hathaway, Ashley Graham, DJ Khaled, Rebecca Minkoff, Doutson Kroos, Tamara Mowry, Gabrielle Union, and more. She has been featured in the New York Times, The Washington Post, NPR, Vogue, The Breakfast Club, Fast Company, Wall Street Journal Magazine, Forbes, Self, Essence, and more. She's the proud mother of a 17-year-old DJ prodigy, producer and entrepreneur DJ Fulano. Latham is a graduate of Columbia University and author of two best-selling books, Own Your Glow, A Soulful Guide to Luminous Living, and Crowning the Queen Within, and Mama Glow, A Hip Guide to Your Fabulous, Abundant Pregnancy. You can find more information about Latham on mamaglow.com, mamaglowfoundation.org, at mamaglow, and at glowmaven. Without further ado, huge grateful welcome to Latham Thomas. Welcome to the show, Latham Thomas. Ah! Hi, <laughs> Debbie. Wow, blessings. I'm so grateful to be here with you. 
I am so grateful for you to be here. Something that I was sharing with you offline uh, before we hit record is that this is actually the first time I've brought a conversation like this to my audience. And it feels, um, one, so timely, so important. But I feel so excited that I get you to be that foundational rock of what this work is and exploring this for people. You have held and led in such a phenomenal way in the world in times where this wasn't known work and where it was probably required to do so much disarming of people in so many ways to understand the importance of. And so I just want to really like anchor in that and say that I honor you so much for the work that you do in the world and the way that you do it. Wow. Thank you. I'm receiving that and also reflecting back that um, I appreciate how you've shown up and how you've led people in spaces where uh, wellness, uh, spiritual life, and, um, and sort of embodiment of these practices uh, wasn't prevalent mm-hmm. and has found a way to weave these, uh, weave our practices, our ancestral traditions um, into spaces that you know, really need it. Like we think about, um, culture, we think about black culture, we think about hip hop, we think about music and entertainment and, um, and how those places are so fraught and, and how many people are suffering because they don't have access to to tools that really can carry them through and how you use, you know, your own practice to model for people, what it could be like to, to live, um, a life well-intentioned, right? Mm. And, um, and joyful, which I think is so important. Um, yeah. So thank you too. And it, obviously it, it created its own world, right? Like it's like you went a direction that also took you into this in- incredible, um, brand. And so I'm also really proud of you. Um, yeah, immensely mm-hmm. proud of you. Mm. Oh, oh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I don't even like, I have so many directions I want to take this in. So I'm like, let me try not to turn this into a 10 parter. Let me, let me anchor. <laughs> but you know, Latham, um, you are so many things and you occupy space and expertise in so many facets, but specifically some of the things that I think people really know of your work. You're an entrepreneur, you're a best selling author, you're a speaker, and you're a birth doula. When I think of that, that just profoundly sacred womb work, that work Mm. of being with the highest creation that is possible in this life. How, how did you find your way into this space? How did you recognize this? Especially as I, as I shared earlier in a time where this, this work was so much harder to find, harder to understand. How did you hear your call and how did you answer it? First of all, thank you for that question because um, I do really see it as a calling, um, not a choice, mm. uh, not a passion, um, but but a deep calling. And, um, and to clarify for people what a calling is versus your job or your career or your passion is that um, you know a calling uh, takes it, it takes all of you right to show up for. And, um, and it also is really inconvenient, right? Like (laughs) calling is never like, right. A calling is never, you know, like 
everything is lined up in your life perfectly. And there's this carve out of this thing that God is sending upon you to do. No, it is in the midst of everything that's happening in your life that you're being asked to step into uh, a bigger aspect of yourself. You're being asked to expand. And usually you feel under-resourced when you're being asked to expand in these ways. And, and the ingenuity to answer and the pathway to map for yourself um, is driven by the commitment to be obedient to the call. And so you, it's just like, you know, asking God and, you know, spirit and energy and the universe to order your steps, right? Mm-hmm. And then just being obedient to that. So for me, it was definitely that. It was definitely being obedient. Um, I'm a Taurus, so it's very hard for us to follow rules and pay attention and <laughs> and find our way to, right? So it's like, if I'm answering a call, it took a long time to get there. Um, so to answer the question, when I, when I was four years old, um, my mother was pregnant with my sister and my aunt was pregnant as well as my great aunt. And they were all due within a month of each other. And that was um, March, April, and May that they were going to all deliver. Um, and I always think about the spring because at the time when we would watch um, animals, they would all deliver in the spring. So I was like, oh my gosh, look at us. Like the animals are coming in the springtime and these babies are coming in the springtime. And so, um, and I was a May baby. My sister was born uh, five years and 10 days after me. And so we were May baby. She was born on Mother's Day. And what I remember was my mother being really intentional about um, education, right? So the foundation for me around um, body awareness, body literacy, uh, and a, a real understanding of um, human physiology started at an early age. So all of the anatomy we were using proper terms for. So, ah. you know, I was not ever calling, um, I was never using nicknames for my body parts, right? Like I always knew the anatomical um, It wasn't your special terms. place or your, yeah. No, she was very clear <laughs> on, yeah. on the parts. And so, so I remember um, she's super proud of this moment. We were in the grocery store one day and this woman was like, oh, wow, you're going to be a big sister. I was like, yes. And she's like, your mother has a baby in her tummy. I said, no, my mother has a baby in her uterus. And it's going to come out of her <laughs> vagina. So, so that's what's actually happening, right? So she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, she's just really fascinated. And so I used to watch this show on PBS called My Mom's Having a Baby and I still remember the shingle to that, um, to that, uh, song and, um, and just like the really kind of really just, pr- just really rudimentary, um, animation that they had, but it was really educational and I had books and coloring books and things. And so that was really the foundation for me understanding more about the body. Mm. And then when my sister was born, I think, um, Around that time, too, I had a cousin who was just a couple months older, maybe 10 months older than me. And so she was also going to become a big sister. So we were were playing together and just modeling what we saw. And so we would take, take our little Cabbage Patch dolls and stuff them under our shirts and then pretend to deliver each other's babies. <laughs> so, so that's sort of when the seed was planted, right? So I was like four. And then you fast forward, you know, into um, adulthood where the experience is now real, right? Like mm-hmm. I had the foundation of understanding 
um, my body and having, you know, a, uh, a mother who like just walked around the house naked. So we were always naked in the house. And so there was just this comfort in the body and also trust mm-hmm. and a listening to the body that was cultivated at an early age. What a gift. And so, yeah, I think back on it, I'm like, wow, like, you know, when I got older and I'd be in the house and I'm like, oh, people don't walk naked. <laughs> people don't do this, you know? So I think I was so used to it, but it also made you feel comfortable, you know, whatever your body was doing and also notice the changes in your body. And, yeah. and so, um, that was really great. So that planted a seed for me. And then fast forward to, um, my experience with my son and I'm sure we'll probably come here, but, but to just underscore, um, you know, delivering in New York City and, you know, being pregnant in New York, not having the same resources that I had in California. Um, cause I went to college here. I went to Columbia University. I stayed, fell in love, add water, was pregnant, right? And here comes a baby. So now I'm like navigating the terrain of delivering a baby in New York City where I don't have any connection to any sort of, you know, practitioners. Like, I don't know where to go in this process. So I'm literally mapping this process for myself in the time 20 years ago. Now, 20 years doesn't sound like a long time, right? Because we think back, we're like, oh, that's, you know, whatever, like early 2000s. But it really wasn't, it really was like, I mean, we're talking about technology. Mm. This was like the ice age in technology. Mm. So in 2000, we still had cell phones that had like the little antenna that you would like pull up to try to get signal. Yes. We did not have text messaging. <laughs> text messaging was nascent. Okay. We did not have text messaging. And so all of this contributed to um, a really disparate space in terms of resource and access. So when you're trying to figure out how to find a practitioner, the products, the best services you yeah. can't find because you're just like, wait a minute, where is everything? And so, um, there was only a few websites that existed that addressed parenthood. So I found those and those were like really inflexible and hard to navigate. So I sort of like did what anybody else would do, which was like, you know, on a, on a heart centered level, just approach practitioners, vetted products, figured out what services would make sense for me, but also not really for me to benefit from. It was really like, um, an accumulation of resources that I was able to pass on. Right. Because by the time I figured it all out, I was, I already had my baby. Right. (laughs) Right? But the big thing was choosing to deliver out of hospital and having an out of hospital birth at a birth center. Mm -hmm. And I lift up this because midwifery is in our ancestry and is in, um, and is in the fabric of what has become, um, our current medical system. Um, the, the foundation of that was midwifery and, primarily um, African and indigenous folks who were delivering babies. Um, we're talking four, hundreds of years ago, like 400 years ago, right? Who laid a foundation for what would become um, a healthcare system um, and who would really be the people on the front lines to uh, make sure that we were able to deliver safely. Um, we don't have as many midwives anymore. And so, and we'll talk about that later, but for me, it was important to deliver in that kind of space and have bodily autonomy mm. and um, and have an experience that was really sacred. And the birth of my son was like an out-of-body experience. So that led me, I think, to also answer the call. And you know what I mean? Like all these things kind of add up. After that experience, Debbie, and you'll appreciate this, 
um, I, I saw a Vedic astrologer. I was, I was teaching at an ashram. I saw a Vedic astrologer and he said to me, um, like we did a puja for my birthday. He said, come, I want to do a reading. I was like, okay, we did a reading and he's doing divination. Okay. And I'm only telling Debbie this because Debbie is a person who could hold this for me. Oh, right? Yeah, right. Like not everybody could take this story. Right. Not everybody could do this. So we're doing divination. I'm in this tiny little space with him. The room, first of all, is claustrophobic. It was like the tiniest room. I could touch all four corners of the room with, with my body just <laughs> slightly reaching. Right. So I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, am I about to ignite? It's so hot. I'm so it's dark. And, but he's doing this whole thing and I'm just getting comfortable with it. And, um, and then he writes down a bunch of stuff that I can't understand. He says a bunch of things that I can't understand, like kind of broken English and then a little bit of, you know, Hindu. And, um, Mm -hmm. I was like, ah, I was like, what's going on. And then, and then he says to me, um, okay, uh, you're supposed to mother the mother. And I was like, okay, I'm doing that. He's like, no, no, no. In a huge way, you're supposed to mother the mother more than you're doing now. I was like, okay. And he said, these numbers are very important to you. Look at these numbers show up in your life. I said, okay. And then he also went into like, and then you got to do, you know, you got to do your sadhana. You got to do this. And he started going through all the things I need to do. And like, here's your posture for this. And I was like, okay, like, got it. So then of course, my whole rest of the week, I'm like looking around for these numbers. And then I get back to New York. I'm in my life. Right. And this is back when you didn't check email every day. One day I get up and check email. Cause I, you know, you check it like maybe once every few weeks, by the way, this yeah, is what email yeah. used to be y'all. You did not trust it. We didn't even believe email was going to stay. Okay. Right. We were still getting all of our mail in the mailbox. People would write letters to you. Okay. This, I miss those days, but, but, um, oh, that's another story. Write me so, a letter. so literally Ugh. write, write me a letter. So, so I'm on Debbie, right? I'm on the email, like we would call the interwebs or whatever at the time, right? So I'm on the, I'm on my email and I see a thing, like, you know how it has that like little notification of what the email is. And then you go inside. It's like a subject line. Yeah. There's a subject line. And the subject line says, um, that I was accepted to a doula fellowship program. And I was like, oh, and then I look at the date and the date corresponded with one of the dates he gave me. Wow. And I was like, okay, God, because I had been evading it for so long. Everyone's like, are you going to, you should do like, you teach prenatal yoga. You do all this nutrition stuff with moms. You do all that. Can you just be my doula? I was like, I cannot be your doula. And I kept pushing it off, pushing it off. And God was like, if you don't sit your behind down and let me just work through you on this. Right. And so it came that way. And then I said, and by the way, I do not remember applying for the fellowship. So I believe like I channeled this application because I don't even recall filling it out. There was like no recollection of actually filling it out. So then I was like, you know what? God, I'm listening. You have my full attention. You have my full attention. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. 
I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Dropping gem. Wow. You know what? What was so beautiful, and I, I really want to highlight this for everyone listening, the way that I heard you just share yourself, it went from, and this is the stages, I think, of living and embodying an awakened life. You went from, this is my calling, and then it moved into, this is my mission, you know, and the steps that it took to get there. Like, you heard the call. We all get a call. Whether or not you answer it is between you and creator. But it goes from a call to like an undying mission, like a, a way of service that just emits from you that you know you're meant to stand in for this lifetime. Is that how it felt in that journey? Because it's like it it was so there's so many layers to what you said that I think are so beautifully connected to everyone being able to understand purpose and destiny. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or the, the word that I think better um, encapsulates all of it is the Sanskrit word of dharma. It is that inner truth, that deep aboding, you know? And it's like you were given this really exquisite foundation from birth of a mother who was deeply emotionally regulated, who had tools, who was sharing herself in such a way with you. You're noticing that this is what feels 
really important to you and really valuable to you and, and really intrinsically a piece of you, then you have your experience, you know, and you arrive as the hero because you're seeing based on your experience with all that God is channeling through you, what the world needs. And then you embodied it. And it's like, wow. Wow. I mean, it's so much easier to not, by the way. So I could see why people decide not to, right? Because it's so much easier to turn the other way. But I have to say this, it's also painful when you don't answer. Like, Like you pay the cost, right? There is a cost for like not stepping into it. And so the longer it takes you to step in, I think about it like this too. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, so many people can be touched, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we, the, the, the more, the earlier we start a process, the, the more people we can touch, right? And so it's like, I think, and I'm like, wow, I know that I was meant to answer at this time, mm. but had I been obedient the whole time, right? So it's interesting. Sometimes we think like that too, oh, yeah. but most of it for me becomes you know, I needed the different entry points. And certainly my son's birth was one of those moments where it was like very crystalline for me too. But it was like a matter of like, how would that, how would that show up later? Right. Um, but I, I think it's, it's what it feels like. Um, and I'm sure, you know, this too is like, there's, um, like, as you sort of choose and move in the direction of, of service leadership and showing up. Um, it's like, it feels like things melt open, mm. right? Like things mm-hmm. start to like, I felt like stuff falling away. Mm. And so what that looked like was also distraction, like falls away and like an ability to focus in a way that, um, may not even be, uh, recognizable or even normal for you. Um, mm. an ability to, uh, surface, um, energy and, um, sustenance that can like carry you and fortitude that can carry you through moments that are really challenging, like stuff that like, you know, that we find like certainly in birth, right? Like when you have your baby on the other side of that, there's all this strength and energy and whatever. And you're like, I haven't eaten in like two days, <laughs> right? Like you just yeah. find it, it comes, right? And I feel like that's also kind of, um, big, one of the gifts that comes with answering is that you do get endowed with some, some superpowers to kind of sustain you through the crazy because pursuing a lot of the things that we choose to do, um, you have to have a healthy dose of naivete to be in the midst of it when it's so intense mm. and you don't know what you're doing. Right. Or you're, you're just like, I'm listening and I'm moving with the energy of this. And if you were to actually fully be able to see the full picture, many of us would never take the path because if you saw what it all would entail, if you saw how much, you know, you would have to endure, you wouldn't even take the first step. And so what's beautiful about, um, journeys they're always cyclical, right? Like we're, we're winding our way. We can't see straight. So as we even put one foot in front of the next, we still can't see onto the other side. So, which is actually a gift because it keeps us in the present. It keeps us focused and committed. It allows us to, to make space really, right? For, um, for what we're meant to do and also to be present in the experiences we're having. And so I'm thankful for that because 
I think that in a culture that we're in right now, right, that's like accelerated and everything is fast and instant, you know, um, and really there's no um, culminating moment of celebration or of ritual around, you know, our arrival someplace, but there certainly also isn't a celebration of just this journey that we're taking, right? It's all about like, I got to get here. I got to, right? And and I think that what what your calling does is really grounds you in the present and keeps you honest and keeps you um, like committed, right? Committed to work and 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 really serves as like I think a tether, right? So that you can move through this world self paced um, because it'll have you if you look everywhere else, right? It'll have you think like this world will have you think that you have to you do all these things to succeed and whatever and. But when you're doing what you're meant to do, like, um, like it doesn't fit into these, um, paradigms easily, right? It's actually, it's more expansive, you know, when we can commit to, um, our calling and we can commit to the mission driven work, right? So I, I think it's, it, it's important to, um, like as we feel these things sitting in our bellies and we feel the butterflies or whatever it is or like excitement, um, to like, you know, step into that, right. Step into the feeling and also embrace the work that's waiting for us, but find, find your, um, your best listening tool. Right. Because for me, it came through so many different avenues, like the words. And I was like, yeah. And then I kept pushing it off. And so I think that we all get to where we're supposed to be in our timing, but I certainly think that, um, the world that we live in can definitely keep us distracted from doing the work, right? And not focusing on ourselves and and what we're supposed to do. Wow. Wow. <laughs> God, that was so, so exquisitely lived and taught the way that you shared that. That is so beautiful. And you a way that I like to frame it um, for myself is like listening to the whispers, like noticing yeah. that feeling in your body, body, noticing that spiritual breadcrumbing that happens, but not having mm-hmm. to have this like anticipatory energy about it. Because sometimes that's, that's right. what leads us to self-sabotage. That's what leads us to just pull ourselves out of the calling and be just an ego about it. When is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? Are mm-hmm. people going to know about it? Is it going to, am I going to feel like this about myself when it does happen? And we get into all these things that, that just really convolute the purity of how we're meant to be in the world, how we're meant to serve with ease, with grace. That's right. Um, and I love, you know, when you shared, especially the piece about like having that Vedic astrology reading, and that is something that I do, I, I have found, especially in the last few months, I'm speaking about extensively on this show. I, what I think is so important about that is it builds so much of our spiritual confidence, you know, yeah. like it really helps us say, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting confirmation that that is real or that's true or that thought I had in my mind. Now God gifted me someone giving me, giving me a confirmation about it. Um, and it makes it yep. easier for us to really listen, especially to the things we can't fathom. Like if we've had a life that was struggle, you know, if you had a life that was people didn't celebrate you, didn't believe you had goodness or greatness in you, or didn't reflect that to you so you could see that in you, it is so hard to feel the weight of a calling and feel like you're unworthy of it, you know, and we're able to, to come in and, and be with people that really see us, 
that can reflect yeah. what they see in us to us, not just specifically like, oh yeah, you're a good person. It's like, wow, you hold depth, you hold strength, you're mm. a radiant being. Like when we can mm-hmm. speak to each other with deeper language, when we can yes. have those confirmations, it builds our our human experience to feel worthy of our spiritual destiny. That's right. Ooh. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Let the church say. <laughs> it's so, and it's so powerful because it's like, imagine what wouldn't it be in the world if we didn't hear the whispers, you know, right. like I was thinking that this morning, like them, I'll just tell a quick story. I, um, I, I had, I was switching some stuff around in my office. And so I took this frame down and it was a framed article from eight years ago. And at this time I was, I was working in mindfulness, but I was still very much in my career as like a broadcaster and a radio personality. Mm -hmm. And the title of the article that was in the Sunday paper was Tupac meets Deepak with LA style. That was eight years ago at that. I'm from born and raised (gasps) in LA, but at that time I was doing radio in Houston, Texas. And, you know, I was going to retreats, but I wasn't working with Deepak and I was a super Pac fan. And then it's like this year, I'm like, wow, like I've been back in LA for about five years. I just contributed to a book on Tupac this year that's coming out this year. And obviously, you know, I work with my beloved Deepak and I'm just like the whispers, the whispers. I had no idea. I love it. I had no idea. I love it. Years ago, you know, I had no idea this would be my life. I did, but Mm. I didn't see it, it, you know, I didn't know what that would actually look or feel like. And so I was just, I was just feeling grateful. Like I really just said, thank you, God. And thank you, me. Thank you, me for hearing Mm. the call, for hearing the whisper and not having to have it all figured out and just saying, yes, I will. Okay. Let's see where this goes. Mm. Yes. (sighs) Yes. Yes. Say yes. Say yes. Mm-hmm. Say yes. The ease comes, but you first that. have to say yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. As someone in in such a powerful space, and you know, when I think of womb work, when I think mm. of the work of ushering in life, of <sighs> helping a woman expand spiritually and emotionally for such a massive new life and new being like a mother births herself as you birth your child make no mistake that's right <laughs> that's right, you that's know, right. What, do you, what do you find um what do you find especially as it relates to the journey of of women the journey of women being in their power which is it really feels collectively that this is the first time in human history there's been such a mass of woman being in her power. What are you noticing mm. and what are you, what are you holding as sacred in that experience of mm. being a full woman, being a mother, um, birthing, growing, and mm. growing yourself? You know, I, I see, I see many things, um, one of which is that community, I think, is so critical and is guiding us to find each other, right? Mm-hmm. So um, with all the technology, with all the connection, right, there's there's this feeling of uh, like digital connectivity, mm-hmm. um, but but not actual community, right? Like not actual 
you know, convening and supporting and witnessing in the ways that we actually evolved for. And so, um, what I see is that people right now, um, need essentially to be swaddled, right? And in, in community support. I'm seeing that, you know, women are retreating to rest, mm-hmm. um, as a primary form of wellness, right? Um, you know, leaning into practices that are, um, fortifying, but that are also Mm -hmm. about slowing down. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people actively divest in the structures that have, um, caused the need for, um, mental health industrial complex. Um, I'm seeing people struggle, right. With also, um, what, world it is that they'll be bringing life into. Mm. Um, so many things. I, I feel like in this moment, you know, which is so interesting, I, you know, people describe it so uh, intentionally so, but really in a um, such a coded way, right? Like we'll hear things like, oh, it's such a dark moment and it's darkness. Mm. And, all that. and I always think of like that being really a misnomer. Um, because darkness is divine and oh, hold on, sit there. <laughs> sit there for a second. Darkness is divine. Darkness, darkness is, is divine. divine. Uh. Yes. Darkness is divine. And in anything that takes us in a space where, um, where we do not have the capacity to see, but we can feel our way through. Um, if we're thinking about the nighttime, which gives us, you know, time to rest and restore our bodies um, until, you know, the sun rises. If we're thinking about, you know, the soil, which is incredible, supports all life systems and is dark and dank and wet mm. and moist and full of microbes and microorganisms and earthworms and uh, mycelium and incredible root systems that support plant life, right? That also supports our life. If we think about, and that's darkness that grows a seed into fruition. And we think about the womb, which is darkness, the womb, which is dark, which gives you know, forth uh, the the ability for um, something at seed level to take shape and form into a human being <laughs> and emerge from darkness into the light. Um, it's 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 divine, right? And then we think about beings, you know, have that have been historically um, coded as um as dark you know dark people black people being you know coded as bad and and seeing all of the incredible ancestral practices the healing work the incredible contributions um that we make into this world right and and who we are it's like darkness is divine right like like everything also that takes us into a space where we have to reflect on moments of pain, challenge or triumph, uh, it, it shapes us. It re it real retools us, shapes us and, and molds us into someone new. And that's through a period of darkness, right? That's moving through a portal. 
Um, so it's a rebirth. I, I think so. I think that this is a really beautiful period of rebirth. I do think that it's a painful period. I do think that there are a lot of things that uh, this moment is asking of us. And to your point about listening, it requires deep listening. This is a time that we're being asked to listen. I mean, we got sent into the house to listen for like two years. Yes. Like this is going on the second year, right? We're going into yes. two, like a year and a half and where we were sent into the house and asked to sit down and slow down. And what we were doing was dysfunctional. Sit down and listen, right? Um, many of us forced to be, you know, in situations that were uncomfortable and had to deal with family members, many people in not safe situations. And so I want to speak to the fact that like, yes, some people struggled, some people were economically insecure, housing insecure, food insecure. There are real, you know, um, and also without healthcare, many people died. So I'm acknowledging the truth in that as well. And also that there was a, a divine lesson for each of us. Um, if we were ready to receive it, yes. um, if we were ready to, to take action, Mm. If we were ready to cultivate, this was a powerful period of personal growth. If you wanted to gestate something and, and be at home to allow it to anchor and not have to be in transit and hustling and going out and whatever, but being at home and, and, and starting a practice that allows you to anchor and, and tether and be, and be present. Uh, many of us got outside. Many people got plants. Many people did all kinds of things to kind of make home, um, really more habitable for themselves. Yeah. And a lot of people started new things. And so I feel like that not only just through the birth space, but this, a rebirth of, of things that were backburnered, right. Things that you may well have wanted to do, but you never made the time for. And then, and then in quarantine, you finally did. I saw a lot of that. And so I felt like, um, this was a period that was highly potent. And that we could, um, I feel like if you come on the other side of this experience and it didn't change you, it didn't touch like, like this, we were all touched. So what way are we going to uh, modify and design our lives to accommodate the shift? Right? Like we, we can't, there's no pushing through. There's no, you know, like just keep going. There's no charging through. There's no pretending that we're not living through a global pandemic. Yeah. And so how are you going to design your life around the shift and, and really make a space for something completely different and invite that in and nurture and then grow something new. I believe that's the invitation. And that is reflected in everything that we see in, in, in the life cycle and living things. Right. And, and that's, I think, um, important for us to step into in this moment. And, and the people who lead the charge for that are the nurturers, right? The people who lead the charge for that are the folks who know how to grow something from the seed level and sustain it until it's ready to grow, like to bloom. And that's the caregivers. That's the mothers. That's the mm -hmm. folks who, that's the grandmothers. That's the aunties. Those, those are the people who are the crux of community who help to hold the universe together by their fingertips um, to make sure nothing falls out of place. Mm. And so we're all being called to, I think, really lean into our caregiving capacity, regardless of how you identify. You know, we're all being called to mother and nurture. 
and and we're all being called to really, I believe, come closer, even in a time where we're being asked to be physically distant, um, socially distant, all these things. I do believe it's a time for us to find ways to minimize that distance and and maximize um, our connection. Beautiful. Thank you. Wow. Mm, thank you. Wow. I everything that you just said, I feel such a deep alignment to, and it really, um, it even it makes me emotional in this moment because I remember the freedom I felt when I first realized that darkness could be my light. The freedom that I found and just embracing what was embracing sometimes the darker path. And at the time that I fell into that, it, I didn't see that anywhere. You know, it was terrifying and it was revolutionary. It was, everyone was only focused on positive mindset, positive mindset, love and light. You got to tell yourself things. And it's like, yeah, but you have to remove the cancer first. You can't just pile on nice verbs and adjectives and descriptives on top of a pile of, of rot, you know, like we have to excavate all of that, all of those experiences, all of that againstness of self. And then from that pure emptied vessel, we refill with what is really us, what is for us. And it reminds me of the Rumi quote, um, that, I mean, Rumi, the poet changed everything. I mean, everything, everything. But when he said, you know, darkness is your candle, there is so That's much right. light in that and, and, and allowing yourself not to get lost in it, but to just take a look around what is in that dark room. Mm. Let me observe mm. it. Let me mm-hmm. see it. You know, let me shine the light on in here. And that yep. I have this, like, you know, I have, I have all the questions for you. Like I'm, I had this long list of <laughs> But this thing that really dropped into my head as you were talking, and I feel like I have to, I have to ask it because there must be people that need to hear this from you. Mm. For women, for any women listening, any parents listening that are preparing for parenthood that don't feel worthy of it, that don't feel worthy of it because of the experiences that have happened to them. Mm -hmm. What would be a way to start um, redefining what you can be as a parent, especially if you came from a family of origin that was not serving for lack of a better word, right? Or left you with a lot of, a lot of your traumas that you swim through. Sometimes we feel unworthy of the parenting journey and then you can, Mm -hmm. Without meaning to, you walk in with the best intentions, but without meaning to, you self-sabotage because it's also one of the Mm -hmm. most triggering journeys. Your child is the biggest reflective mirror of your existence. Mm -hmm. How Anything that you have for how someone getting ready to start this journey can really show up at it um, in a way that honors them and honors their child. Wow. I should start by saying I'm still in the journey. I have an 18-year-old son, and uh, Debbie and I were speaking before about how you just like never really get used to the fact. Like I still don't get used to the fact that he's here. Mm-hmm. Like even when um, wow. I thought that like there would be a time, you know, when he was little, 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 I would hover over him, make sure he was breathing. You know, when they're tiny, and you're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and 
even still, he'll sleep and I'll just hover over him and watch him. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't end. He's 18. Okay. So I, I would start by saying that, um, you know, we, um, a lot of us exit childhood, um, in need of things that we didn't receive, um, from the primary care providers we had. And for some of us, um, it was more structure, attention, um, love. Um, and for others of us, uh, who might've been smothered and had too much, you know, attention, too much restrictiveness. Um, and then some exited where there was violence and belittling and, and so, and combinations of all those things. And so, um, Right. Like one thing that's really important is to know, understand, and I think that all parents should understand this, is that um, like what happened to you, um, the things that occurred in your life um, are not the sum of who you are. And so because you might have been um, mistreated or the people who were intended to take care of you, um, did their best or did not have the capacity to do their best. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that the next time when it becomes your time that you won't do a good job at it or that you don't deserve to have a parenting relationship that is fulfilling. I, um, I can definitely say that there are things that I lived through in my childhood that I did not want to repeat. And that I was so conscientious of. And one of the first things I would say is, um, if you're partnered to make sure that you have discussions, um, and even if you're not partnered, whatever the family configuration that your child will be born into, that everybody's on the same page about parenting style. Because, um, Mm. you know, I was really clear with my son's father and he was really clear with me that we would not be um, physically hitting our child. And I'm someone who grew up spanked, uh, whoopings, as we called it, right? Yeah. Like getting, getting whooped. And, um, and I remember um, reading something as an adult, actually, about what constitutes abuse. And I was reading a list and I was like, oh my God, I experienced all these things <laughs> as a child, right? And not realizing or having language for those experiences and being able to say, Hey, this was not okay. Yeah. And as a child, you know, it's not right, but you're not actually in a position to be able to advocate for yourself because you're a child. And so what that does to a child is, um, it actually makes it really challenging or incapacitates them in, in certain ways to be able to, um, self-actualize. And so, um, we're supposed to, have our human needs met through the folks who take care of us. And, um, and that starts at a, at a basic level when you're born. Um, an infant learns within the first few hours of life whether or not the world is a safe place. And it learns that um, primarily through connection, if there is a buffering adult presence like its mother or a birthing person or um, you know a family member who is holding them, that is how a baby knows that it's safe. Um, we are hardwired for connection. We cannot survive individually. So this idea of rugged individualism and 
you know, training your children to be independent. They're not independent. They're interdependent beings. They are social beings. They depend on you. That's why they're called dependents. <laughs> um, they depend on you. And, and there's no amount of, um, of like, you know, I guess like, um, I don't know what to even call this training, I guess yeah. that will unhook this primal need and actually, um, make them be somehow self-sufficient. So they're not designed to be that way. And so some of the things that we can stop doing now, right. And stop repeating now that I'm really, uh, would love a lot of parents to interrogate because of sort of how we've been raised and things that we've embodied. So in our community specifically, there's this whole idea about spoiling your children. Oh, Mm -hmm. don't pick up the baby. You'll spoil it. Don't do this. Right. And what I can say is that you cannot spoil a child. You cannot spoil a child. What you can do is, is prime them with uh, emotional intelligence and uh, with self-confidence. You can prime them with uh, a sense of connection and community. You can help them to uh, neurologically develop through connection and through touch. Um, you can help them to understand what um, positive um, stress looks like versus toxic stress. You can help them to also develop their capacity to heal. Um, and, and you can also, uh, help to heal the epigenetic blueprint of your own lineage through raising through from birth, from pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so because a womb is the first environment, right? So from pregnancy through birth and the childhood period, you can change the legacy. You do not have to do it how it was done to you. You do not have to spank or leave your kid in a container or whatever. You can wear your baby. You can hold your baby. You can nurse your baby or bottle feed or whatever you're doing, but you can, you can support this human being that's dependent upon you. I always teach that, um, you know, it's like 10 months or really 10 moons of intrauterine gestation. So 10 moons inside the body and 10 moons on, onto the body, outside the body, onto the body. Right. And so this, your chest becomes the external womb, right? The, the breasts or this plate, which can, by the way, by temperature can adjust to heat and cool the baby as necessary, right? That becomes the external womb to look after the baby for the next 10 months, because as we know, they don't start really being able to move around. <laughs> they start walking kind of 10, 11, 12 months, 13 months. But before 10 months, they really need to be held. And so we, we have to kind of orient ourselves around the fact that this is how community was designed, right? So to care for the, the, the children. And that, by the way, it wasn't just solely on the mom or on the women. It was actually an intra-community experience. And men will, were also caregivers. And um, it's also very interesting to know that we have science for that to show that like even fathers uh, or partners, right? If, um, if you have a male partner, for instance, um, his testosterone levels drop significantly, right? By at least 35, sometimes 45% towards the end of a pregnancy wow. to start to accommodate the ability to caregive. And yeah, wow. and actually he develops estrogen and, estrogen, estrogen, estrogen. He develops estrogen. So 
these things are because caregiving is in all of our capacity. So I would, I would remember that like we all can bring something to the lives of these little ones, whether you're a parent, whether you're somebody who's going to co-parent, adopt, whether you're someone who's just in the life of, of children that we have to treat them humanely. We cannot treat them like they're property. Mm. They're on loan to us. Yes. They're on loan to us. Right. And so we need to, we need to take care of them and, and understand that children are our guides. You know, I see my son is like somebody, I just hold his hand and I'm like, you know, just there to gently guide as we cross the river together. And I'm like, okay, watch your step. And I'm not here to pull him this way or that way yeah. or tell him where to go, but to just listen and, and nurture and love and protect. And they have to know that you're safe. They have to know that you're a safe space because if we, develop a relationship whereby, um, we dictate that we're a power, you know, force in their life and that, you know, um, um, we're like a punitive, you know, force in their life. We model the systems that actually keep us from being free. And so we don't want to police our children. We don't want them to feel unsafe in the world. We don't want them to feel unsafe in the home. And we don't want to model white supremacist patriarchy in our homes by mm-hmm. touching them inappropriately, by hitting them, by, by punishing them in ways that are not constructive. And, um, and we don't certainly want to make them feel like they have, like they're confined. And so children have to be able to feel like they can live into possibility that they can imagine. And, um, one of the biggest disservices that happens to our children is that like that capacity for imagination and for possibility and who they can become gets squandered and gets shut down because of adults that don't realize how impactful their words and their um, actions are. And so we just have to be so mindful. And, um, you know, this is on the heels of, of Debbie being a part of, um, World Mental Health Day and, um, and doing a lot of work around this, this exact topic. It's important to do your, your work and, you know, seek out licensed mental health support before the baby arrives, before you, if yeah. you even if you can do this before you're thinking about getting pregnant, like really yeah. go through your life and really assess where you need to heal the mother wound, where you need to heal other aspects of, of childhood, where you need to address like issues with your father or other people in your life. And, um, and then also, the biggest piece for me that has been so important is, you know, like lean into your practices that help you to build resilience, that help you to, um, you know, like I think about somatic healing as a big piece of how we get on the other side yes. because the wounds that we have are not that not things that just were talked through. Like these are things that happened and, and live in our cells and in our tissues and like they say that issues are in your tissues, right? Mm-hmm. If we can bring those issues to surface and find the practices that work for you, if it's twerking, if it's, if it's singing, if it's, yes. right? Like I think twerking is a self-care practice, yes. right? Like whatever it is, right? Like move your body, move it yes. through you, sing, meditate, like do what you need to do to move stuff through you also. Yes. And know that those practices that we have ancestrally can help us too. Um, so you don't have to just go to a licensed mental health provider. I think it's important to distinguish that um, mental health providers help us to process, right? They help us to process, contextualize, 
And the only way to heal is to like actually work through the body. The body is the conduit for healing. So find your healing practices that, that resonate for you. Find the people who resonate for you and, and make sure that once these children arrive, that you maintain those practices and that you bring in the support systems that you need to help you maintain those practices. This is why doula work is so important because we can help bridge those gaps for people mm. too. But this is critical for us to do because it's not fair when, when children come and, and they lead these lives where they, um, they could have had more, right? Like a lot of us can think back to things that we probably, like I think about stumbling blocks, right? That I just would have avoided had yes. I been held a certain way, right? Yes. And so yes. Yes. we we all deserve that. So if we can do the work, and I love the question because if we can do the work, I think it's amazing. Most of us just find ourselves, like I found myself pregnant, like we didn't plan it, but my son was definitely wanted, but it wasn't like I had all this time to like yeah. really map it all out. But what I will say is you have freaking 40 weeks. It's 10 months, right? So even if you find yourself pregnant, you have 10 months to really like hook in and decide like how you want to show up to the experience and who you want to become on the other side. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. 
Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Dropping gym. That was such a powerful, full answer. And there is, mm. I just, wow. To further echo everything that you said, um, some questions popped up in my mind that those listening mm. that are really, really resonating with what we're speaking to. I have three journal prompts that you may enjoy, everyone. Um, Ooh. I got a pen, so I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, I'm thinking for, for this, for these prompts, for this soul work, you know, this Mm. can be used in service, even if you are not a parent and have no plans to be, to nourishing, nurturing and reparenting your own self. Um, We don't, yes. on a human cognitive level, choose our circumstance. On a spiritual level, I very much believe we do. Um, But we are in charge of our healing. And I think sometimes what keeps us from our healing, especially in deeper trauma, is we think that to acknowledge it means that we're taking responsibility for it, for the things that happened, for the things that we didn't want to know. And so I just want to express to everyone listening as I unload these questions, as you really kind of unpack the depth of wisdom that Latham just shared with you. Um, And you can revisit this episode, pause, rewind, send it. Um, But really think whether these questions are relevant to you for your reparenting journey, or these are things to just really start leaning into. And you don't have to do it perfectly. Journaling doesn't have to be done dear diary style. It can be bullet point. It can be one word. It can be, you know, (laughs) just all the things. But when you think about how you were parented, the first journal prompt would be, I want you to sit and think, what did I need? What did I need? And start writing that down slowly. And you don't have to do it all at once. Come back to it over a week, over a couple of weeks. But what did I need at a deeper, deeper level than maybe just the shoes. But if that was a need, if that was a neglecting in your life, write that down. What did I need? The second question to just sit with and experience would be, what did I deserve? Mm. What did I deserve? What did I deserve to know? What did I deserve to have access to? What did I deserve to feel? Because you are a worthy being now in this moment, irregardless of life circumstances. What I deserve. Mm. And then the third question, and this one, go gently, but keep going. What hurt me? Mm. What hurt me? What did I experience in my life that hurt me? And there's no hierarchy to pain. So even if you did not, you know, experience physical abuse, there are other things that hurt you, right? Was there a time that you weren't fully seen where you were excited and passionate about something and it wasn't noticed? You know, what hurt you? 
And then as you spend time with this over a period of time, and I want you to keep these pages, everyone, whatever you journal to, and you can really track your progress as you work through these thoughts, you get the opportunity to reverse engineer a childhood for the person mm. you bring in, for the human being, for the soul that you bring forward. This is how you find the quote unquote better way to do it. This is how you find your power. This is how you find the ability to show up in a way that was not modeled for you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So spend time with that, uh, everyone, mm. if it feels like it resonates. Latham, I am so grateful for your time today. Mm. Thank you for your life. Thank you for all that you do in the world. Thank you for your wisdom. And thank you for sharing this space with me. Debbie, I'm still on the reflections. <laughs> I'm still sitting with the reflections. And I know that those listening are sitting with those reflections still. Um, I mean, I could visualize something like not even just, you know, in my mind, think through the words that came, but I could see instances in my life, mm. right? especially for the last one, I could see an instance in my life. And, um, and so I just want to um, underscore the power of the prompts and the invitation, right? Like to be in a space with um, a guide. I mean, this is like having your own, you know, vision doula here through Debbie to, um, you know, surface for yourself what it is that um, that you need to like reveal, but mm -hmm. also what it is that you need to heal, what is it mm -hmm. you need to become. And so it's such a blessing to, first of all, to be in community with you, um, but also to see the delicate nature in which you are handling those um, approaching this space because the entry point has to be, um, you have to approach it with such precision, but also with such gentleness. Right. And, and that is what you're getting here is like the, the tenderness and the love and the, um, and the precision in, in like knowing exactly where to direct that questioning for us to be in relationship with ourselves you know, with, with our stories, with our bodies, um, and, and for the purpose of like growth, right? Like, I think that's such a blessing, you know, to be able to be, um, yeah, to be able to be held in that way, you know? And so I just give thanks. I think, you know, there's, there's so many spaces that y'all could be listening and being, but, um, I think that every opportunity that I've had to be in community or share space or just witness how Debbie shows up, it's always in a way where um, she's carrying you, um, you know, and with the intention of, you know, making sure that when she places you down gently, that you're better off. And, um, and so I thank you for holding and having the capacity to hold. And, um, and for, uh, 
being a powerful skate, uh, space keeper and wisdom keeper and mother and healer and diviner um, and priestess, you know, like you bring so much magic and you model also what we need to see more of in the world. And so I give thanks for you. Mm. Um, I ask that you continue to be blessed and um, that you and your family continue to thrive and um, that you're continuously uh, feeling supported and fortified to um, shine your light with evanescent warmth to have the impact of healing. And, and I thank you for the opportunity to, to be in community with you and be witnessed um, by you through your lens. And just thank you again for the beautiful, um, just the beautiful uh, wave that we were able to ride today and, and, um, and also to allow me to be a part of the prompting um, because those are questions that we can never, um, we can never ask ourselves enough, right? And, um, and certain days, like Debbie said, you can come back and you'll find that it can bring something else up. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything that comes up and everything that we can feel can, can help us heal. So um, I'm so thankful to you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank I'm you. so thankful. God, thank you for the way you just spoke over my life. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for reflecting that back to me. Mm. <sighs> mm. God, yeah. that me. Thank you. Thank mm. you. Thank you. Thank Lake, you. I love you. Yeah. I cannot wait I to love see you. you. I know. Me too. I can't wait. I'm like, I don't even know what it means to say, like, see people soon. Because like, what is this? <laughs> what is life right now? <laughs> Like, what is life, right? We're like, yes, I'll see you. But you know what it does do? It's like when we say, okay, yeah, I'll see you. Like now it like really makes us think about like the moments that we so took for granted of being outside and seeing somebody like, I'll see you next week or I'll go, I'll see you at the next event. Or now it's like, wow, right? Like, you know, we're, we're, it's not just the Zoom. It's like, no, people want to like see people and be with people and touch their hand and feel their pulse and feel their warmth. And, and yeah, so I can't wait for us to do that and just like hug it up, thug it out in the street with tears, hugging. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Next time you're in LA or I'm in New York, we have a hug appointment. We are going to That's be exactly right. sunshine in somebody's courtyard, just like, that's oh. exactly right. <laughs> God, Amen so cool. to that. No, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone, please share this episode with a friend. Share this with a mama. Share this with your mama. Um, mm. Send this onward and please connect to all of Latham's powerful work, especially uh, there is an amazing interview that she did with the Breakfast Club um, that I really love that was about preserving joy, self-care and really holistic wellness. Look mm. that up. Need to watch it. Um, and just, I mean, the books, the the Instagram, Latham Thomas, ah, all the things, all the things. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Namaste. Oh, this episode. Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) So amazing. 
Thank you, Latham. And I want to make sure everyone that feels called has the opportunity to connect with the big event that Latham is doing on October 30th. So if you're hearing this episode, October 30th, 2021, Latham is hosting the Doula Expo by Mama Glow. They gather birth workers, doulas, brands, partners, and supporters under one roof for a day of inspired learning, community, personal growth, workforce development, economic empowerment, authentic connection, and business building. This is the Doula Expo by Mama Glow. So if you are a mom, if you are a doula, if you are a birth worker, if you are a healer, or if you're somebody that is curious, intrigued, or feeling called to this work, whether for self-exploration or as part of your purpose, Dharmic Path, highly, highly recommend checking it out. It's going to be happening October 13th, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So a nice really full day of immersion, of learning, of growing. And it will be taking place in Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York. Doula Expo by Mama Glow. So you can head to the website universe.com forward slash events forward slash doula expo. You might need to do a little playing around with that link, but I'll also provide the link in the bio of this podcast episode. So you'll be able to check that out right on your phone and highly recommend checking that out. Please share this episode. If there's a friend you feel called um, to connect with themselves in this way, to connect with their children, to connect with their mothers, to connect with themselves in their own body, share it. Big thank you. Big love. Namaste. Hey, find me on social. Let's connect. At Debbie Brown. That's Twitter and Instagram. Or go to my website, DebbieBrown.com. And if you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, please, please, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And send this episode to a friend. Dropping Gems is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. It's produced by Jacquees and me, Debbie Brown. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. 
Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 